All right, how's it going, friends? Zig coming in at the top of the interview. This week I have with me once again Mike Watt for our part two interview. Um, so if you did not hear part one, I recommend you go look up the first part and listen to that before diving into this one. Um, I really hated to chop up these interviews, but it was we hung out and talked for like four hours, man. It was incredible to, to hang out with anyone for that long, especially when you do this type of long-form interview thing and you're really just hearing the person and it's been super trippy to do it without seeing the person right because he's in he's in pedro right i'm in cleveland and i just hear his voice right and he just hears mine so it's almost more intense because you're just listening you're not being distracted by verbal cues or anything but this was an amazing, amazing opportunity, and I cannot be thankful enough for Mike for hanging out with me for that long, Howard for setting it up, um, Jay from Studio 44 for mixing it. So before we jump into it, I wanted to share a little something from mine and Coda's history. Um, this is a clip on Sea Level's Facebook page. It's our first video. It's only a minute long, and it's from that 2011 show at the Gronk Shop where um, my ex-girlfriend's uncle was like a, what's the word I'm looking for? Bantering Mike Watt, and then he comes with like this, uh, this little turn of phrase. So I want to share this video with you really quick. Thank you very much for this moment. I got you a big picture. My pop used to shame me all the time. I'll tell you what, one time uh, he's got me in this little nine-footer uh, sailboat, how are you going to do this, learn this? And I turned a turtle, and you know, I'm crying and shit, I'm jumping on the keel and trying to get up. I get in, he says, look, we got to find a bottle of rubbing alcohol and some rags. And I'm thinking, whoa, kind of a strategy here. And he, first we're going to soak the rags, and then we're going to tie them around your ankles. <laughs> yeah, keep the ants off your candy ass. <laughs> All right, Mike Watt. That was from the Grog Shop. Um, the thank you very much for this moment has been a thing with me and Cody since then. We saw Mike Watt five times on that tour. Any, any spot close to Ohio or in Ohio we went to. We need to cover some things up. If you can like, subscribe, rate, review, comment, share the podcast and on those platforms, that would be rad. It helps me keep talking to people and sharing it with you. Also, we just started a YouTube. If you can hit the bell notification, share, and subscribe to that as well, that would be great. Um, also, near the end of this here, we start talking about the Pedro Show in February. C-level, letter C, dash is going to be a guest on Watt's podcast and radio show called The Pedro Show, which is an absurd honor, and I am beyond excited to do that. Even just to hear him talk about summer tracks is going to be mind-blowing. Even if he said they sucked, it's just going to be exciting to hear him talk about. So if you dig what me and Coda do, uh, something to look forward to. Here we go, Mike Watt, part two. I'm like a, a person who's passionate about making the music you have, that you throw, you know, or vice versa, just to find that... that the person to be in the band with you who wants to get to the, you know, do the thing is already enough. And like bands are trippy things. They really are ensembles, collectives, 
there, there, there's a few ways to do it, you know. Yeah. Some, yeah, sometimes you got the shot caller. Uh, and I've, I found this out, too. You know, I what the Stooges. I didn't tell those guys what to play and shit. You well, know? they're yeah, yeah. Okay, <laughs> I try saying that. that kind of do the, you. You replace the dead guy. You do the old songs. Okay, the old Stooge music. It's beautiful. Other times, like you know, usually I put my name in the band. Second man, missing man. Yeah, I'm the shot caller. Uh, sometimes, like with the Italian guys, Osonio de Marinaio, we collaborate. I only write a third of that stuff. A new way is with Mike Magetta and this MSSV and Steve Hodges. Mike McGetta writes my bass. I've never been in a situation hmm. where somebody wrote my bass lines. I mean, I've, I've learned bass lines from the old guy. Yeah. Or you know, Like in the Stooges or like with the... Yeah, the John they, they passed Rod. away. The guy didn't actually teach me, so I yeah. had to learn records. But, uh, or with Porno, the, yeah. the guy was sick. And uh, uh, Jay Maskus, he showed me the stuff. and but But this was the guy actually writes me lines for me. And then he writes his songs around it. So it's a, I found four ways to do the shit now. Collaborate. Yeah. Wow. And it's, there's going to be more, I, I imagine. It's, I think it's good. Yeah. Society tells you you got to be the boss or you're not winning. But if you're always the boss, you're not going to learn everything. You're always going to get your fucking way. Yeah. Okay. So life, you know, I don't know whether that guy wrote the plays or not, but... Shakespeare or Shakespeare, you know, life's a stage and, you know, different roles. Inhale, exhale. You were not always the same thing. Why not perform different roles? Sometimes you're side mouse. Sometimes you're shot collar. Sometimes you're, you know, yeah. cutting up the pie. And that way you learn how to, when you are shot collar or when you are head in the boat. Right, right, right. You're going to ask somebody to take direction. Maybe you yourself should learn to take direction. Yeah. That's a beautiful, that's why, beautiful statement. That's, that's lesson of the third opera, that life is a classroom. And sincerely believe in everyone's got something to teach you. Hmm. The lesson's never less then. The lesson's never lesson. Beautiful. Wow, man. Well, Get, um, that, that was my understanding of, of the thing. Yeah. That you don't graduate in the 12th grade. You you graduate when you die. <laughs> yeah. you. Um, I think um, there was a a documentary of, I think it was, it was with you when you were in like in the beginning, at the end of uh, the first opera and planning the second one. And um, there was a part in like, I can't remember exactly how you phrased it, but it essentially it was like having beginner's mind each gig. And like, oh so, yeah, you know, when you get to the 12th grade, that's when you, when you graduate, you start life. You kind of at the beginning again. And there's almost this like... Asia got that shit. When I turned 60, they got it in Japan. They, Korea's got it. China's got it. Kanreki. Yeah. You're born, you're, you're born again at 60. That's your second birthday. Wow. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> Because in the old days, if you made it that long, oh, my yeah. God. Yeah, right. So when I go out to do a gig, if you're going to just fucking connect the dots and sleepwalk, you're cheating the audience like a motherfucker. Yeah. In a way, suspend a little reality and, yeah, beginner mind. Well, that gets you in touch with more of the room. Yeah. So not just anywhere with the fucking mask on or the you know, bandana over your eyes. You're you're actually engaged at, at in the moment, 
Now, of course, you got to be practiced with your guys and all your parts and shit. Like, so you don't have a total beginner mind, but you are working the room. You are engaged with those people who came. Yeah, that's tough. Especially, especially when you, if you're not a born entertainer like me, a scared shitless. You know, <laughs> you know, I come from uh, playing with D Boone. Uh, and uh, later on, you know, Ig, these guys, very, very confident on stage. You know, and I, and I kind of fed off that. Really scary without those guys. To do a to do something that the front as a group is a lot easier than just as one person. So in, in some ways, yeah, in some and ways. Like, wow. Well, or somebody be in the bow. Yeah. That's why I say in the first op uh, opera, I'm, I'm the left-hand man, and the C.D. Boone's a boiler man. It takes three guys to run the engine room. Fireman, a boiler man, and machinist man. My papa's a machinist man. Got it. Got to get the fire up. You got to boil the water, and then you got to get the power to the screw. Okay. So, those, so D. Boone's a boiler man. So I go, you know, you're in your rate, machinist man. You're the left-hand man of the boiler man. Because if you look at the minute man, I was on the port side of him. How many letters are left? L-E-F-T, four. How many letters in the word port? P-O-R-T, four. You'll never forget. <laughs> okay, so I'm on the port side of him, and if I did get scared, just look starboard, there's D. Boone. And if he ain't scared, come on, man up, grow a pair, why? Wow. Okay, that's what I'm talking about there. Yeah. And, and in the same way, like with Egg, you know, I told his wife once, we get in a gig, you know, those gigs seemed like they were five minutes long to me. They would just rush by. But I told her, a gigantic garbage disposal could open up on the stage, and he'd jump in, and I'd probably <laughs> fucking follow him. Because I'd get, he, he's so charismatic, you know, i get caught up in it. Yeah. Like Ahab and, and Moby Dick, right? He gets his crew just going so... They're not even thinking anymore. They're just with him. Wow. Yeah. Remember, he gets tied to the he gets tied to the whale, and his arm is flapping, and his guys are thinking it's him waving, "Come on!" But it's not, and they go down with him. And, and I'm not saying this is a good thing, but I'm just saying yeah. how that. In a way, it's good as far as getting brave enough not to run away. Yeah. <laughs> But you do lose your your mind in a way, or your um, individualism, or your well. In those situations, if you do, if you hesitate, but they, it goes by. The next part's gone. You ruined it. Yeah. And I used to have these nightmares. I love that band so much. I mean, I want to be buried at sea anyway. But I had these nightmares of a headstone, and all it said on it was "fucked up a Stooges gig." <laughs> <laughs> Didn't want that. Yeah, I felt I owed that band so much. I mean, our whole movement—we wouldn't have movement without that band. A hundred percent. And so I was there to be there for them. Yeah. Every note was for them, and so I, I, on purpose, like lost myself. You know. Yeah. And you know, if you're in different bands, you can do different things. You know. Yeah. You don't get side banditis, and then you don't get this fucking superiority comp because you've been, you, you, you know what I mean? You're going through the different roles. Like the guy at the factory, and then he comes home to help his son learn reading. Right? He's taking yeah. the orders, and then he's giving the orders. Life is a lot like that. You stop pretending so much about fake royalty. You know, life's a stage, and we're playing roles. Yeah. 
but playing for keeps. I mean, yeah. another way to jive. I mean, <laughs> and the be, I don't know, with like the Stooges to be influenced and like be able to be in that band in like in an important time in their existence and in your in your journey, and like to have known like Dave Alexander's bass lines and like. Try Funny, to, his name is uh, Dave Michael Alexander. My whoa. name is Michael Watt. Yeah. <laughs> my middle name is Michael. Same with my face, well, man. So, well, you see, you're like Dave Alexander, and you know Ronnie's best friend. They went to England when they were 16, and you know the Stooges was a very organic band. Ig love those guys, man. They're all gone now. He's the only one left. I mean, James Williamson's from the third, uh, you know, from third yeah. album stuff, but the the, the the thing that they started with, you know, and you could tell being around them. I was finally the youngest guy, you know, and I've never had older brothers. It was yeah. really trippy for me, that whole thing. And then Stooges music, too, on top of it. It's very, it's right there with the Little Richard, Jerry Lee Lewis rock and roll, you know, the, the spirit, uh, emotion trip. It's not about, uh, you know, uh, superfluous shit. It's about the right down to the bone, right down to your gut, man. There's something about that music that really speaks to me. The words, the rhythms, the bass lines. Yeah, super economic. And the bass, actually, this is weird about it because that sickness had almost killed me. You know, I, I couldn't play bass. Yeah. While I was healing up because the tubes were in me. And I hadn't stopped since I started, you know, with D. Boone's mom. So when I went to play it again, I couldn't do it. So I went back to Stooges music to learn again, Little Doll, over and over, which I found out later that baseline is actually from Pharaoh Sanders, Upper Egypt, Lower Egypt. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm... See, music is fucking music. Yeah. Okay? So, and then look, TVI, that drum, that's, you know, Motown, Betty Benjamin, the snare on the one, tapu, 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 tapu. All this shit crosses over. People are fucked up, or, or they just got jived by, yeah. you know, Marketing people, and and the marketing people got jived. <laughs> They're all, we're all jived. <laughs> yeah, to some degree, like they make you think that way, and then you you start to try to well, figure look, it that's out why that like way. Halloween. Look, Halloween is the only day all year we admit we wear costumes. Yeah, okay. <laughs> it is. That's that's tripping me up for a second. I'd like I had to think about that. But you're right. It's the only day people actually admit they're trying to be someone else. Yeah, that's we're all acceptable, I guess. When we're all people, right? And music is music. And of course the Stooges were made out of everything they fucking heard. I, as Brother Steve told me when he asked him to join the band for Funhouse, he goes, I want Maceo on L. Wow. Uh, uh, acid, you know. Yeah, yeah. But right? So, so he's he he's referencing a Jim Brown's guy. Yeah. And, and basically they, you know, and Dave Alexander, that, that to him is a funk lick. And that's doing blues by flattening the fifth instead yeah. of the third, which is an old blues trick too. The lower, because they would do open tuning, right? So you, if you put your thumb over the neck, one fret back, so you're an octave down of that flatted fifth. Hmm. It was a way to get minor. Yeah, yeah. yeah with there we go. Tuning. All right. That's yeah. Like I yeah. No, no, I've been picking apart some Robert Johnson stuff and the open tuning, and the, you can only go off all these records. There was and, a lot, you know, you know uh, Richie Haven did a version of George Harrison. Oh, yeah. 
right? The manager of the band that was supposed to go on Woodstock thought it was a bad idea. <laughs> Not. So mm. they go, Richie Avon, you go on, and they recorded it and it became a big old, and that's that's open string. He's using like one finger, but it's the right hand. We I had a drummer on the show yesterday, and we're talking about how how he went from drums to guitar, and guitar ain't left hand. Jimmy was having some fun with this because Jimmy knew it was the right hand too. In fact, he played upside down so his he could palm the noms even, but the strumming. It's the strumming. It ain't the left hand with the finger in. It's rhythm music. It's rhythm music. Look, yeah. the one big fuck up the Minutemen did was putting George Hurley in the back. That motherfucker should have been right up at the front of the stage like I've been doing the last 20 years. It's rhythm music. Don't be denial of drummers. Is that um, the idea? Where'd you get the idea? Was that just it? Let's put the rhythm up front, putting these drummers up front from now on. I just thought it was jive. Yeah, it yeah. goes along with saying okay. he's stupid and he's not a musician. And, and but what a bunch of bullshit. Chico yeah. Hamilton read about him not being able to get songwriting credits. Yeah, drummers can't write songs. Well, I got I got this with bass guitar too. Yeah, you write some bass lines. No, I use bass as a composition tool: bridge, chorus, verses. Most yeah, harmonically it's pretty lacking, but that gives your collaborators. Dale's Klein loves it. Other guys is like, yeah, why don't you write the song on cymbals? <laughs> All right, well. well, people are motherfuckers, you yeah, know, whatever. Sure. They want a shortcut. They want a shortcut. They don't want to do the legwork. Was it? And most composers, I think you, I, I, I don't know if most composers, but when you dissect I, stuff, you, you start from the root note. You start from the bass up when you're trying to figure out those four parts. They use the guitar, they use the guitar, they use the piano or the guitar. Yeah. Well, that's the whole. You got like. But what happens there is you supply so much harmonic information, your collaborators are kind of painted into corners. Yeah, yeah, you lay it out for them. And I think point. the future of the bass is a, as a composition tool is pretty interesting. It makes for a really good springboard or a launch pad, because it leaves a lot of the you know it does the rhythm, it does the starts and the stops, but a lot of the harmonic is left up to your other guys. Was it? Yeah, and it gives kind of going back to our uh, discussion of ensemble. It gives that space to do that, and like uh, right. Well, you write the whole song. You give him a tape of something on the piano. He's doing the left hand and the right hand. And it's like, yeah, okay, I'll try to fit something in there. Uh, yeah, I can do what you did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. The other thing is like you just lay out some territory. You let them find their own road. Kind of, is, I don't know. Different people like different stuff. Nels Klein yeah. loves it. You know, uh, me, me showing him the, the, the first opera all on the bass, I had no problem. I didn't write one guitar part. Because the parts he laid down for that are incredible. He's, he's interpreting. He's taking yeah, cues yeah. from the libretto, from the words, and from my bass parts. And then I'm explaining to him the piece, how it's moving through the day, what time it is, where it is in the part of the story. He's using all that information to develop his stuff. Wow. Yeah, so he, obviously, I got to have a, a trust with him. Yeah. So that's what you kind of need. Besides the skills to pay the bills, you need this trust that that man is going to really listen, listen to you. But not like how to march in line, but as cues for him to develop his own artistic expression. And it, it, if it wasn't that way, I don't think, like, if he or anybody in that spot 
wouldn't be able to express themselves as fully within that limitation or within that guidance of a thing, it wouldn't be the same result. It wouldn't move as much as it did. And well, you know, he's from the world of he's from the world of improvised music and free jazz and all that. So he's got kind of an inclination. You know, he. Yeah, thirty-five pedals. What's your favorite pedal? The volume. <laughs> well, how do you do? You know, all this wild playing and shit. What's the biggest technique? Listening. Yeah, it boils down to the main thing. Yeah, do you know what I mean? All this think you th- stuff you think is opposite is what he's using as his main shit. What's the loudest dynamic? Silence. What's the? Yeah. <laughs> oh, decrescendo for sure. Yeah, I've used technique a lot. Oh yeah, when you suck the sound out, it's louder than. Yeah, decrescendo is an incredible technique, a device. Incredible. This is what right in the operas helped me develop was device that the Minutemen actually were doing in their tiny little world, tiny format world. We were using these things. Even if you, you get out of time and shit, if you start, Ig taught me this about uh, working a gig on a stage, about beginnings and endings. He says, you can have a fucking turd in the middle there, but if you got two good pieces of bread, which <laughs> means a good ending and beginning... You're going to choke it down. You're going to get it down. It's going to work. You know, these are there's certain techniques that you can use that aren't just the same old, same old, like this lick or this chord progression. Yeah. There's other things. Dynamics is a huge one that is overlooked a lot in rock and roll. Too bad. Yeah. Because everything's fair game if you ask me. It's all on the table. It's Beatles did weird things like, okay, you, you know, major the whole song and then end on a minor chord. Whoa. You know, devices like that kind of shit. They could be a rock and roll too. It's interesting. Little, like, silence, right? It's a thing you don't think about, you know, right? It, it's, a, it's a technique that kind of goes to the wayside or rest or like how deceptive cadence like the Beatles tune and little things like that it's with how what you said ig said that makes so much sense because when you're at one point at the beginning it's just captivates you if there's bumps in the road you don't remember those as much as the destination you get to the da, 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 bum, bum, right like your brain wants that resolve and like everything leading up to that is just building tension to that and if, if it's if it's a minor chord resolve or if it's cut out silence or if it's like a chunk's missing and then it moves or if it's an odd time signature it really it it take that's a I, no one notices the turd <laughs> like I don't, that's an amazing well, analogy well, it's for all it. device. and if you're thinking about work in a room and bring uh, music bring an expression to people you just don't want to like you know you want to take them on a journey yeah <clears throat> so there's bayou, there's desert, there's forest, there's mountains, there's beach. You know what I mean? It's all vocabulary to tell your story. Hmm. Yeah. It's a beautiful way to put it because it's not. It's not necessarily the. Otherwise, we need one song in one band. <laughs> <laughs> that that would be a drag. <laughs> Yeah, a big fucking time. <laughs> kind of a, I have a completely uh, off the wall question that I wanted to ask a little earlier. Kind of talking about Coltrane and stuff. 
when you guys played, I think it was 2006, 2007, you played the Monterey uh, Jazz Fest? Well, B- Banyan, Perkins Band, right. Okay. Uh, myself and uh, Nels Klein. So that had to be like, for all these oh, idols that we've been talking sure to, that had to be like... We went, we went on after John Schofield. Wow. And it was, you know, it was in these yeah. little like Quonson Hut tents things, and it was all filled with people sitting in chairs wearing sweaters. And I'm thinking, oh, fuck, man. And so I told him, Perk, my suggest is let's do Funhouse first. <laughs> That's awesome. And we go out there and we did Funhouse and then we did Maggot Brain and we did some other thing. You know, a lot of that band was improvising stuff, Perk. We get done playing and the boss of the festival came up, thanked us. <laughs> I was surprised. I thought for sure these motherfuckers were going to hate it. Yeah. I really thought we were, you know, but they were they were really beautiful about that. And I just, because I was scared, man. It was like recital rock. Yeah. Okay, they're sitting there, you know, folded legs, folded arms, chin stroking, sweaters. And I'm like, and John, he was bad, man. He was bad. He had these brothers doing kind of funk things, and he was playing his, he was, I was real, very inspired by him, and Oh man, Mr. Schofield. He's got great uh, phrasing. So chicken uh, bowing to him and then going on the stage and it was like, oh fuck what? So I looked back at Perk and I said, Man, let's do funhouse. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And I, I, you know, because you know, if we're gonna go down, let, let's you know do it right away. <laughs> and man, I could we you know, it just ends, right? Funhouse boy needs a place to stay. Funhouse boy, steal your heart away. Boom on the one. And so I thought it was going to be like fucking right. <laughs> the sound that never ends, the cut tumbleweeds. <laughs> <laughs> and they all fucking were into it. That, and it really, yeah, it really surprised me. That really, really surprised me. That's amazing. Because like, we like uh, who was it? Steve Ray Vaughn when he did that fest, they booed him off. You know what I mean? Like, here's I can imagine Cat Beefheart. That's when uh, who was the young guy? Uh, when he was young then, uh, 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 Leo uh, Kaki. He quit the band because the captain walked off the stage. Almost broke. If he didn't land on his manager, he was broke his neck. That 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 festival has a lot of history. But yeah, performance wise and just. Lore wise, a lot of history, and you know, I'm, I'm not saying these people were like below me or anything. I was just afraid of the situation. Yeah, hundred percent. That's like terrifying to be like in yeah, the realm it of really, the... really was, and I just thought, you know, Stooges, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and Nels was there, and we had some older guys. Herman Green was on the sax, and uh, Calvin Newborn was on the guitar. These guys were in their late sixties. What a trippy band. Willie Waldman was on the trumpet, blowing some sour-ass shit, but that's okay. It, it did it. <laughs> I saw the video, and I, I wasn't... Uh, yeah, yeah. have you seen the video? I yeah. think I know what you mean. Yeah, and I've just got my eyes closed most of the time. It's like, oh, fuck, I can't believe this. <laughs> it's re- That's like recital time. I, oh, my God. Oh, my God. You know, I wasn't... Like I said, I'm not a born entertainer. I was... You know, but, you know, if you're there, if your number's up, you know, at least go down swinging. Don't, you know what I mean? Put yeah. on the big pants. 
you know, not just tweet from the White House. I mean, it, it, I got I had to do, you know, and, and I looked over at Nels, and, and luckily I was right next to Perk, too. And Perk's a beautiful cat to play with, man. Perk, this is one thing I got from the porno guys. It was eyes. They went to Bali or something, and they watched the ladies dance, and it's the same with eyeballs. Hmm. But then they incorporate in the way of playing. Yeah, they make yeah. big-time eye contact. And one thing about us, you know, with Georgie, it was kind of like, I'll see you at the finish line. Yeah. I really like this idea, the eye contact during the gigs. And it's one of the reasons why I set up the drums at the front of the stage. One of it was because you had to get rid of this bullshit on the drummer being stupid and useless. Yeah. But the other one was so I could look at both guys at the same time. Because I, the drums aren't straight on, they're at an angle. And then I got the guitar, the organ man, right across from me. So I can watch both guys. That's and I got it from the porno for Pyro. Remember the the lesson of the third opera? Everyone's got something to teach you. Yeah. And this thing about the eyes. And Perk, you know, the porno guys, Peter and, and Pear, they're way into the eyes. And, and that helped me a lot, especially some of those porno gigs were at venues that were huge and the acoustics so bad. I remember Ig one time... Uh, on the first gig at the Coachella, he came up to me. He stopped the song. Go, are we in the right key? Because <laughs> you've been in these pads, you can't hear sometimes the right fucking notes. Yeah. And they said, "Yeah, we're in." He said, "Start it again." <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. It's dirt. It was dirt. Yeah, because you can't hear. There's there's overtones. There's uh, comb filtering. Uh, things are bouncing back. You know, nodes. It's fucked up. And so the eyes can be really, really significant. And I've really worked that into my plane. I'm not, even though I want to close my eyes to be afraid with my guys yeah. that, I, that I'm in the ensemble with, I really try to make that eye connect, connection. And so at that gig there, when I went, didn't have to put my mouth on the goddamn mic, I, I, I was back, right next to Perk. And that, that's where I like to be, too. I, I, and in fact, I like to be on the snare side even more because I can be right in there with the hi-hat and the snare with him. Physically you know? putting yourself in the pocket. Can be right there with yeah. the drummer. Yeah, because I think that connection, I mean, it's uh, it's important everybody's connected. But, you know, a, a listener guy like Nels Klein, he's always going to be aware of it. And believe it or not, Ig, even though he's he's got this weird duality where he can be going fucking crazy and still hear, hear every fucking note. That's insane. And, you know, you always, we'd have these debriefings after the gig. Mike, I'm going to call you on that second chorus after the bridge. I heard it. Sorry, Ig. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, man, that's it. No, but you know, come on, dude. Yeah. The work ethic, you know, and it wasn't mean. It wasn't like mean. It wasn't like you know. He, 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 no, no, I wasn't. Uh, to come and beat my ass with or something. Yeah, yeah. But he wanted to let me know that he's listening. That just the, and that, that also says to me that he cares enough to listen. Yeah, I'm not just you know whatever. Some you know what. Because that's that's kind of what you would with a guy who's going crazy like that. You would assume he's not, he's kind of, no, in he's the, but he's, he's hearing both. everything, he's which is both. amazing. Remember, it starts out. He's called Ig because he was in a band called the Iguanas. Yeah, he's a drummer man. Yeah, he Scotty drums. Serious drummer guy too. He like yeah, and I get this a lot from Midwest people. It's about not so much front. I am what I you know Popeye stuff, right? I am what I am. Yeah. Ig, when he talked to you, he'd always it'd be no front, always look you right in the eye. This is what I mean. You know, when Italians put their fingers up there, this is exactly what I mean, you know. <laughs> That's how Ig is. And the Ashton brothers were like that, too, and stuff. And uh, 
uh, you know, they were all very interesting. Gig with culture, Ronnie with the history, and Scotty with nature, and Bruce Steve with politics. They're, they're beautiful cats to be around. 125 months, more than any other uh, unit that I've been with. Wow. Uh, except, kinda... except for touring with Tom Watson. Yeah. That's, that's kind of... 20 years over the different projects and stuff, but... That's that's a my like the with one of the bands that influenced you too. that much. Tom Watson's a lot with the eye contact too and stuff, and a bass player, he's kind of like glue. So if you got nothing to stick to, you're just a fucking puddle. <laughs> that's a good analogy yeah. too. Yeah, that's I'm not 100%. trying to fake. I'm not trying to be fake lead guitar. I'm trying to be the grout between the tiles. Well, most people they go the head, they look at the tile. Well, I'm that grout. I'm holding that tile together. <laughs> That's, <laughs> yeah. That's no, it's weird how life. Put it. You, know, you, you, you end up where you are the, from the path that you never would have expected. But people ask me, "What kind of bass player are you?" It's really easy for me. I just say, "I'm D Boone's bass player." This is where I learned a lot of this stuff. Yeah. This is where I learned a lot of stuff. He thought the political part of the Minutemen was bringing up the drums and bass. He thought the lyrics was just thinking out loud. Yeah. Because we come from arena rock, and where there was a strict hierarchy. Definitely. Well, with arena rock, that's you know, it's the kind of fed thing, and because like, of the, the physics, right? Yeah, but like that's super. Like that's why I said the club thing was a, game, a total game changer. Yeah, it was a total game. Going to see the Germs. Oh my God, that'd be insane. Even though I love T Rex, that was a good get, but it was nothing like, you know. Oh my God! You know the, the the punk gigs were just so. It was different. I remember the first one we saw. We saw the bags, and I, I turned to D Boone. I, without thinking, just out of my mouth, fell. We can do this. That was, you know, I wasn't thinking yeah. of anything. I just said, "We can do this," and I never said that at a arena rock gig. There's too much. Well, there too was much. something. What do you call it, empowering? empowering about the, the whole experience i want to be part and it, then you know and pat spears standing next to you when the next band goes on it's like these motherfuckers were just taking turns playing for each other yeah i'd never been in a situation like that i couldn't believe it you know but why not why not it be anything you want it to be like the, uh, the skater rob locker in arizona made a sticker from a Boone quote yeah. punk is anything we made it to be was well, a beautiful statement and like because that's the way we looked at it. We didn't look at it as a state, uh, a, a style of music. It was a state of mind. Yeah. And it's so much... The, the, the style of the music's up to each band, and maybe they change their mind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or some shit. Yeah. And you guys did, as the Minutemen. There were so many different... Well, we're, you know, we were trying to put the... You were saying the theory and the practice. Yeah. yeah that's what we are trying to do. <laughs> was it? We didn't want to keep it as theory, you know? Yeah, yeah. In a way, uh, uh, we are true believers in the movement. Well, that'd be it. Taking the philosophy and just funny haircuts and funny names. In fact, people thought me and D Boone had fake names because of our names. <laughs> well, I mean, Watt's a cool name, man. That sounds too cool to be a real name. But yeah, yeah. It's Boone's even cooler than it is. Same with D Boone. Like, yeah. You know, you got the D part because the Blue Oyster Cult second album, he was E Bloom. And he played stun guitar, so D Boone, hey, I want to be him. <laughs> That's awesome. 
great record. It had a big effect on it too, in some ways. What I was going to say was, it's beautiful. Like the whole self-actualization that is what you said. Uh, the, I'm D Boone's guitar or bass player. Like the yeah. like I think at the end of whatever, as it because my uh, day gig is I'm a teacher. I can't. Both my sisters are teachers. Important shit. I can't. Thanks. I can't. Pettibone did teaching before, you know, full-time artist. Sorry, what? Pettibone teacher be, taught math before he was a full-time artist. Oh, no way. Pinchy way. I wouldn't shit you. <laughs> I keep you're blowing my mind, Mike. <laughs> like, that's so cool. Well, I'm literally. I know it's colloquialism. But. Yeah, yeah, but still, that's... Wow, what a character that guy is, too. But um, to finish Beautiful. my thought, like... um self-knowledge is like the ultimate knowledge right so i can try to explore uh, express these things and show you how i can do them and show you the steps i took to do them but when it comes down to it it's the your knowledge of yourself and your ability to do that thing or figure that thing out whatever it is yeah but also like mr co-train with the reservoir yeah I guess you're drinking from it or pissing in it <laughs> <laughs> But, but look, Buddha, I think, said, stop learning, stop living. Yeah, that's 100%. Or maybe he said, stop teaching. Maybe teaching and learning are kind of two sides of the same coin. I would think so. Because every, every student, you're learning how to explain learn this them. thing that you just kind it's of funny, know. In German, in German, the word for teacher is learner. Weird. Wow. Language does that sometimes. Right? That's so learning. cool. Yeah. They're not learners, they're studenting, but you're the lunar learner. But look, a lot of human human things have du dualistic trips, dangling dualities. They yeah. do. Yeah. Words can inform, they can lie. Yeah. It's how it's wielded. Like the pen knife. Yeah. How the art is expressed. There's there's art in that pen knife. The way it was built and stuff, but the real art is what is to be carved, right? Yeah. Well, it's interesting because that um, some I'm trying to find the right. Some people believe that tools are from art, right? So the advent of tools came from trying to well, carve this like thing out. But 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 Dave, like that experience you had at the shit hard center. Yeah. The tool fetish. Yeah, okay. And in yeah, fact, yeah. one of the Jamie Connell corollaries is, it came from my pop, without asking him, but <laughs> poor Carpenter blames his tools. For sure. For sure. Definitely. Oh, man, I don't have the right time. You got to innovate, right? Yeah. The sitch calls from it. It's what the sitch calls for. Definitely. Definitely. There's and an, and there's you ain't got that tool... Don't give up yet, because you might be able to do what's it called a half-ass in the meantime. <laughs> there's always <laughs> there's always those workarounds. No, you know what I'm, what I'm saying is, yeah, the, the technique, right? Yeah, and and tech, tech, tech is useful science. Science you can put to work. Tools using tools, but you know, yeah. Remember, uh, Mr. Kubrick, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. You, the beginning of 2001, the, what was his name? Bone Crusher? He's got a name. He throws the bone up in the air. And it becomes a thing, yeah. What does it become? It becomes a spaceship okay. at one point. 
But what kind of spaceship? Ah, the, the, I asked people this because I, I read the, the book. Arthur C. Clarke wrote, wrote the book while he was working with him. Yeah. So I know what that thing is, and everyone guesses wrong. I'm going to be another one. <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's, you'll, you see that thing at the end. Yeah. What happens at the end? Well, then it goes to the idea, right, that it's... This, no, the end of the movie. Yeah, this reverse, all, rebirth almost. At the end of the movie is the star child, right? Yeah. Well, in the book, we use weapons against it. That's what that motherfucking thing is. Yeah, okay. That bone. Yeah. And oh. on purpose, uh, Mr. Kubrick put United States markings on it. But that is not just a spaceship. That is a weapon. That's hydrogen, you know, yeah, thermal. Yeah. And in the book, they try to kill. They think it's a v invading alien. Yeah. So they try to kill it. And of course, he just puts it out, and he, and 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 I think the last line of the book is, uh, "What would he do next?" He would think of something. So it was all about yeah. potential, right? Yeah. It was all about potential. Like we would get over this stupid thing about using violence to get power. See that bone that he threw into the air is what he used to kill the Whoa. dude from the other yeah. tribe. Yeah. And when he threw it into the air, it wasn't just a spaceship. It's a weapon. It's the extension. And Mr. Kubrick didn't want to, you know, be didactic. Yeah. I think. So he camped at Blurry. But that is a weapon. Oh, that's so beautiful. There's no people on that yeah. thing. There's no people. There's no windows. Yeah. It's a big weapon. And which this clown was talking about putting them. We yeah. signed a thing with the Soviets about no weapons in space. But there's no more Soviet Union. So that treaty's no good. Mm. So they want to weaponize space. This is a good market to build things and get people working together, right? Yeah. It's just, but it's funny. No one I talk to ever answers that question, right? They don't because they didn't read the book. You know, remember I'm yeah. like tw twelve years old when that came out and shit. And so, so I'm, I'm reading science fiction a lot. I didn't get into history and stuff until I met D. Boone. He got me into history. So I re would read a lot of, except for Encyclopedia. My mom got one of those when I was a boy. But I, I would read fiction, especially science fiction. And so I read a lot of that shit. So I knew that. And uh, so humans use technology to make better machine guns, mm. which is very, you can have very pessimistic view of the future. Yeah. It's almost curating to destroy. What do you, what do you call cynical? Yeah. So, uh, hopefully, you know, what they, they were saying there that maybe, no, you know, we can, right, because the aliens, the monolith keeps traveling with us every time we get a new innovation. We land on the moon. We land on what was Saturn in the book, but Jupiter, the rings cost too much to make for the movie, so <laughs> yeah. made it Jupiter. <laughs> But it would come in and check in on us. And are we worthy yet to, like, you know, make the next step? It's kind of trippy. It's, yeah, I can kind of religion parts, too. Is it? But the this idea of technology, about using the right tools. We yeah. can't fetishize them so much that we never get anything done. Definitely. We're always looking for the right tools, the right tone, the right automatic tuner. <laughs> Fill in What's the blank. Auto, auto pitch. Auto, yeah. Uh, um, voice changer. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, vocoder's kind of interesting. Yeah. 
Well, it's but it's uh, auto, but the auto pitch. Oh my god! And then at and this, you know, made it famous was Cher, who can sing like a motherfucker. But yeah. It's kind of, but it was a production technique. But see, this is what happens. Well, every song needs this on it now. <laughs> and that ruins the the. It's like a spice. It becomes all salt yeah. or whatever. Yeah. It doesn't become exactly, as tasteful. Exactly. exactly. Right. Whereas if you used it in a certain proportion, it'd be fucking happening, right? Yeah. 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 I'll say Bogart's whole fucking thing. <laughs> no nutrition. I have never read the book for 2001. So yeah, he was That's brought funny. on with him. It took him like five years to make that movie. So he's brought on. He worked yeah. with NASA, but really? Arthur C. was actually writing the book too. So the book comes out. Yeah, not a lot of movies are like that. They write a book with the movie. Yeah. Not unless it's like a like a marketing thing, like a Star Wars thing. Like now, and like a new. No, it was actually like part of the script writing device. Yeah, Yeah, I'm definitely gonna have to crack that back open. I have a, I have a one of my best friends studies film, so I'm gonna have to pick his brain. You only make films, right? So he spent a lot of time on these motherfuckers. Yeah. Now with the Shining, he just bought the book and changed everything. (laughs) (laughs) He didn't work with Steve King at all. It's that's another thing that's interesting. He said he wanted to make a real scary story. He did. <laughs> that movie definitely holds up for that. And I think because he brought in the racism stuff, and maybe uh, you know he didn't have the goofy shit like the talking hedges and shit. He stuck right at the, the racist uh, native and black and yeah stuff. Yeah, it's really scary. It's interesting um, with horror horror movies how they can like diverge into like um, almost what terrifies people at the core of it and hide it in such like a gruesome way. Absolutely, absolutely. And, like, and I think that that's totally what he was trying to do. And he made a good. And he made a good one. He, yeah, only thirteen movies, but and obviously the beginning ones weren't the same. But yeah, I mean, uh, Sting guy Tom Watson's heavy into Stanley Kubrick. Yeah, and luckily, yeah, with the YouTube dot com, there's a lot of uh, documentaries and informations. The uh, the internet's not all bad. It's in yeah. some way it's it's totally like. Like having your own website is like having your own fanzine. Yeah. Well, in a way, it's like Wikipedia, right? Encyclopedia. And I got it. My mom got this when I was like five, right? This door-to-door guy sold World Book. And now it's organized by just the letter, alphabetical. But, man, things would connect. Yeah. And I had the disease of being curious. The tool of the internet is ridiculous. Like to find material and present it and find out quick learn how to do something like expand something else and like the rapid exchange of the information is priceless and it is an an intervention that's going to change everything from here on out for the better um it's the little things that bring that negative connotation to it but like the overall scheme of it is amazing like i know we started off kind of like that's how it's wielded it's how it's used it's just like with the tool. It can be used to create or destroy, yeah, or it can absolutely. be used to... Um, Propaganda. Yeah, brainwash. yeah, yeah. And like, um, it's super interesting, because I work for, with kids pre-K to senior high. I'm a music teacher. Um, but like... That's great. <laughs> like I said, so many schools got rid of the music programs. Yeah, no, it's... I'm definitely stoked to be in a... Um, a school that appreciates it and lets me kind of come up with crazy projects and like really focus on the kids' interest. So it's, 
kind of half academic, half like, you want to do a metal band? We're doing a metal band. You want to do a podcast? Well, we got to make music for it. You want to make a YouTube channel? There's music involved in that too. And like, but that being said, like so many of these kids get uh, like, can they know everything you're talking about right from the rip. And it's like, it's, it's really incredible how fast and like they process information and how fast they lose interest in it. That would be the negative part of it. But the amazing part is like all these kids know all this stuff. I can have a conversation with a kid that's like 12 with like relevant stuff as when I was 12, I wouldn't be able to have that conversation. And like, so that's, I think the beauty of it. Well, you know what's what's really beautiful about that, what I'm hearing, is you got faith in the next shift. And this is what problem, I think, with people that are less younger. They're jealous. Yeah. And they're afraid of the next shift. And they won't let go. Yeah. we got to realize that they inherit. So it's good to have some confidence in them. They're not perfect. There's a lot of stumbleoni. But they are the next shift. And we're going to be the last shift. Yeah. And that's hard to accept. But that's the reality of the dealio. It is. It is because so much of what drives you through a thing is kind of being that that first shift, right? And I don't know. I am pretty rose-tinted um, contacts that are permanently installed. Like, I'm always looking on the bright side of stuff and, like, trying to see the best even when they don't believe in me or I don't, you know, or just in general if it's a gig or whatever. Um, well, they're, they, they're, they're still learning. Yeah. I mean, learning... Uh, they got a lot less experiences. We're always learning. They're not the only learners, but they have less experiences. Yeah. And they got stronger, healthier bodies. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to be able to do it way but better. Less experiences. That means they have to learn more and they're going to have more uh, chances to make mistakes and stuff and stuff. But they are the next shift. That's just the way it is. You yeah. only get so much time. And the... To kind of be a guide for some of it, I, that's gets what gets me through the day. Realistically, is like I'm yeah, super absolutely. stoked to be absolutely. that, to be the one to either teach these kids to be super loud or corrupt the youth in the good way or like whatever it may be. I'm uh, super excited. This, this well, you don't know. You you know, nature is strange. If you want a good crop, a farmer would tell you use a lot of manure. Yeah. <laughs> 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 goes right up with that it's, it's, it's really it's really strange the way things work out what you got to do is like you know try not to hurt anybody but to try try to be honest about your expression yeah to be that's my advice I, I appreciate that that's definitely something I'm going to have been trying to do and I don't know, I, you can always analyze you know the politics of base are strange uh we look good making the other guys look good. Yeah. That's good politics. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And uh, sometimes just that, that's the way it kind of works out. Yeah. And you just never know, too, the consequences sometimes. Right? There's the law of unintended consequences. And hopefully they're not too, like, negative to disasters. Because yeah. it's hard. We can't look into the future. Yeah. So hopefully you're pushing yeah. them the right way and you're getting that's them hyped up to do the right things and that's stay true to what they're doing. Um, 
on a side note, so there's this wrestling album with some guys from Cleveland I was told to ask you about. Yeah, of course. Because, no, I wanted to make a sequel to the wrestling. The wrestling record's actually Ball Hogger Tugboat. Yeah, that's an And I've always record. wanted to make a sequel. I want to make a sequel to that using just Cleveland musicians. And I'm going to come to town with a, you know, a batch of songs, my bass, or borrow somebody's bass there, and then go to it. Kind of recreate that record just with Cleveland dudes. That's amazing. That's going to be so epic. Yeah, I want to do that in the next couple of years. Um, I met a... So that article I sent you with the sea level thing was... Uh, we did... Um, this weekend, we did two benefit shows. And we it was at the Grog Shop Night 1, Beachland Night 2. Oh, yeah. Sold out All the place and streamed it and tried to collect donations and, like... Everything was for the venues, and we brought all these groups together and would systematically bring a person up on stage and then have them walk off, you know, I mean, the, the whole COVID thing. And, like, at the end of the Beachland gig, I'm walking off, and uh, this guy, Demos, comes up to me, and he's like... Oh, no, Demos. He's like, you and your bass player, you guys both have D. Boone stickers, because... On that, at that um, last Grog Shop show, I saw you were selling those D Boone stickers, and I was looking for those forever. Like, so I bought, and I spent like fifteen dollars in stickers. <laughs> maybe not, okay. maybe not one hundred percent. I think I bought a T-shirt too. But um, so we had him on there. He's like, I know what, and like was telling us all this cool stuff about your guys's history. And then he was like, when you talk to Watt, yeah, make sure you I, ask I, him about that wrestling he album. Shaker, he lives in Shaker Heights, not too far. Yeah. And I, I can't get his pad. That's all. He's a cool guy, man. Yeah. Really cool guy. He really is. And he plays baritone. Oh, okay. Cool. Or, yeah. And so he wants to be part of this project too. And John Pekovich. Yeah. Verde, and of course the old Paruba guys. In fact, right now, maybe 11, Songs I've already recorded with Tom Herman, the original Perubu guitarist. Wow. Or a project called Ship to Shore. Yeah, I have not been sitting on my hands. I've been part of so many collaborations these last eight months, you wouldn't believe it. I, no, I wouldn't. One, one I... of them is with, with, with Tom Herman. who's a, a huge influence on the Minutemen, D. Boone's guitar playing. Tom Herman was. He had a band after that, too, called Tripod Jimmy. Um, really good guy. And so. I want to make a record with Cleveland cats. Yeah, that's incredible. So you being a Cleveland cat, you probably want to get in the ring too. At least I want to watch. <laughs> I'll <laughs> not trying to snake my way into anything, but I definitely want to be. I want to be around in the room. Well, it's <laughs> like there's a me. band. Like if there's fifteen tunes, there's fifteen bands. It's like that. That's awesome. That's how I did Paul Hugger Tugboat. Yeah, and that. Coming out of the gate with that, well, not coming out of the gate because there was albums up and to that. I was out of the gate because I was kind of having to be, you know, you stand in the middle. Okay, it was different. Firehose was kind of like being Minutemen, right? Yeah. Even though Edward was much different and stuff, but it was still kind of the same thing. So it was coming out of the gate in a way. Because that, and I just asked my friends to make, you know, a record you can do is different than a tour. Yeah, you can't. 48 motherfuckers with no. see it wasn't really a solo record there's 48 guys on that record yeah yeah and everyone puts their part into it when they like when you hear the, well, that was the theory of the record that's why it's called ball hog or tug but i was uh, talking about the bass like are you going to aid in a bed or are you just going to be you know 
a gun and shoot from fucking 50, you know, mm. so you the ball, you know, are you going to, and, and I thought the theory was if the bass player knew the song, anybody could come play drums and guitar and sing and shit. That's a, so that, that's, that was the premise the record was built on. Wow. That's a, that's a, for coming out of the gate to come in with like a theory or like a, not like a mindset like that. It's so open for everything, which that record has on it. Like every track has everyone who's featured on it. The uniqueness of their abilities based off what you gave them shines and it's uniquely you as well. That's a, that's a hell of a record. And that's super. But no, that's, that's a test of the, uh, the ideas behind Ensemble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of going back right, to where we started. Right. What's the bottom line? What was the bottom line I told you? It was to try to make an interesting conversation. Yeah. And that record proved it, for sure. And the th throughout all these records I've been picking your brain about, I think that's what it each one shows, that you kind of give everyone these room, as well as yourself. That's, that's why I'm very grateful to D. Boone's Ma for putting me on bass. I didn't even know what it fucking was. Well, that's... <laughs> That's pretty funny that she was like, you're going to play bass. That's so, like, I don't know. Sometimes you, you guys are going to have a band and you're going to be on the bass. Sometimes that the limitation leads to the most amount of, like, creation. Well, yeah, I haven't even got to five string. I'm still on four string. You know. Have you tried one? I had to at a gig once. It was terrible. Yeah, it's, it's a, it's, I'm just not used to it. it there, and there's so much for me to learn on i mean i could see it depends on the keys you know if you're in d or c you can come around from the bottom i understand yeah. that but a lot of that there's a reason why those four strings you start getting into the kick drum it muddies up shit yeah and the strings above that that's ridiculous you're in the guitar zone yeah the four is just like that that goes right middle where yeah. the kick drum don't have to be lonely but sometimes, you know, I can see that extra low being in key parts, you know what I mean? Like, in maybe in different styles of stuff being kind of clutch, but, like, not for just, like, an overall thing. That's, like, how you're saying, that's pretty invasive, and, like, mixing-wise, I can well, see that. Well, it's like having a 50-foot kick drum. Yeah. Yeah. How low do you have to go? And there's a <laughs> guy down there already working that area, so you got to watch out. Yeah, yeah. I, I heard this Robert it was part of this thing with uh, Perk called infectious grooves and it have this big intro robert's an incredible bass right he's with yeah. the metallica guys he found the jocko bass but anyway you'd have the big old intro and what? then the band kick in and all the shit disappear <laughs> he found the jocko that's bass? because the sound's already done by other instruments yeah it's a it big was... problem for me with uh, jazz fusion anyway yeah that i like I, I, i'm being a hypocrite a little here i'm saying music is music but something about jazz fusion everyone's got their taste there's nothing wrong with ha that's personality you know is liking and not liking something i think for the majority of of music when it comes down to like people like the people right like so they even like the the you break up the beatles right some people go i'm a paul guy i'm a john guy it's the beatles you know what i mean the music's the same there's something about personality that people there's reflect a, there's and a resonate with there's a Charlie Mingus song called Cumbria Jazz Fusion, but it's not the stuff I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. It's like the talk shows in between be when you go to a commercial or something. Oh, okay. And we'll be kind back. Of funky. <laughs> like everybody's playing lead guitar and trying to be funky. Yeah. 
There's just something, but it ain't really like funk. It definitely ain't Jimmy. Yeah, there's something about jazz fusion that's really bizarre. Yeah. And it's not for lack of technique. I mean, these motherfuckers can oh, play. Yeah. You know what I mean? They can yeah. play. Nothing against them. It's just that, mo- that, that, that way of doing it. <laughs> Or something. Yeah, it's <laughs> kind of. Is it? Well, it was in a transitional phase of rock and like old school jazz and trying to redefine this stuff and like <laughs> take it to one spot, you know, take it to the next spot or whatever. And like, but there, it, it's, yeah. it's got a tone. It's got a tone. Like jazz fusion has a tone, and you know what kind of area you're listening to. Not that every everything does, but there's something. Of, there's yeah, something of course, there's parts of things and stuff without going, you know whole hog i guess yeah but yeah there's, there's something about you know because like i do like B- bitches brew and that's probably the beginning of it yeah 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 and i saw my beast orchestra and that might have been part of it i saw that birds of fire tour and i like that and i like that record but man there's a lot of stuff i don't have a yellow jacket record i was listening to a because inter- those guys can't play i mean they can play like motherfuckers it's nothing against that. that. Yeah. It's just about it. It's, it's kind of, I was listening to an interview with a, or a, no, it was that Miles doc. It was a, the birth of cool. When he gets to that jazz fusion point in his career. And I can't remember who the bass player he had at the time. Uh, trippy. Michael Henderson. Well, he had two of them. He had Dave Holland on the stand up. Yeah. But when he used electric, Mike Henderson was not, he was from, he was Stevie Wonders. He was from Motown. He found yeah. him at the Apostle. He even told Stevie Wonder, I'm going to take your bass player. <laughs> and he had a disco singer after Miles Davis. I loved his play. It was really calm. Yeah. He was from Jazz Fusion at all. <laughs> so there was something pure about it. Like, and he asked, I guess, his upright player to start playing electric. And the guy was like, he wouldn't. Yeah. He wouldn't take that step. He's just like not my thing. Yeah. And well, he just wasn't from Dave Holland. Wasn't from that. He's a great bass man, but he was. So same with Charlie Mingus. You yeah. know, the Atlantic Records tried to get him to do a record with Stanley Clark, huh. and he just hated electric bass. Yeah, uh, yeah I saw Lionel Hampton's guy tried one of those, and, and uh, but he tried to show Charlie uh, Stanley Clark take the A train. Stanley Clark, I don't need to learn that. So it was like, it never happened. Yeah, there's too many conflicting... But Stanley uh, Clark has changed a lot. I saw an interview, he said, anybody could do a bass solo. Now, you write a good bass line, that's hard. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So he was a young man then, you know. and Yeah, coming in hot. Yeah, yeah, right, right. So, and Charlie Mingus, right. A lot of those guys had to get kind of attitudes because they got, took so much abuse. It was kind of like a leather skin. Okay. Charlie Mingus... Yeah, got a lot of bullage out yeah. of that guy. But, he, you know, when you get down to it, yeah. So Miles, see, Miles, here's his talent. He wasn't the best. Tra- he knew Diz. He would never be a Diz. But he was smart about picking bands, picking guys, and picking music around him. You know, yeah. Miles is a big picture guy. Yeah. Personal expression. When I saw him at the uh, Hollywood Bowl of Pettibone, he wow. had a keyboard. Nobody's playing this keyboard on the side. You see him, he'd come up there and hit one chord. The whole band would move to that chord. <laughs> <laughs> I guess what I was going to say about the whole um, the fusion era of stuff, he, I guess when he got his first check for like, I think it was like 
sold that whatever with that band and like it was different with miles because he was like you're saying he's doing this big picture thing but he said he felt like a thief from putting all this stuff together and i think that might validate some of the movement and like some of your kind of thoughts on jazz fusion as a strange uh vibe of things but like bitches brew is a different thing i think i think that record holds up and then live evil yeah i mean i yeah. And look, he names one of the songs John McLaughlin. You know, John McLaughlin, he was a sideman and shit, and he came into, you know, he's the Mahavishnu guy. Yeah. And Charles Davis writes a song with your name, you know, like Mr. PC, right? Paul Chambers. Yeah. John Crane. Some guy like that writes a song with your name. <laughs> You're not a guy, and not hiding it. And like, Mr. No, PC no, took no. me a while to figure out. I'm like, what? Who's Mr. Peace? What? What is that? And like, but when you know you read about it, and you're like, oh, Paul Chambers. Yeah, that's a good. Paul Chambers, incredible bass man, but terrible junkie. Yeah, I don't know how he played that way. Incredible. Yeah, I mean, I guess you could say the same about Bird. You know what I mean? Same thing. It's unbelievable. But you know. Like Meltzer said about uh, John Coltrane, you can keep dope out of the temple and get better. Was it? Did you always you... remember that lesson. Sorry, but, um, did you um? You ever throughout your tours go to that church, the Coltrane Church? Up in the city, yeah. I took my organ player. It was in different places. This was when it was on Gow Street, and. Uh, I remember on, Div on Divisadero, but yeah, it was Rev Reverend Franzo, you know, with the tenor, and yeah. he did frock and all shit. And I remember he t looked at the organ man, he goes, we're going to go to work. Huh? It started off Lonnie's Lamont for 45 minutes, yeah. Wow. Lonnie's Lament. Yeah. Lonnie. yeah. Lonnie's Lament. I think he had his son on the drums and daughter on the bass, and the ladies were doing like kind of vocal and... It was incre incredible. He did a little epistle at the end, but mainly it was jamming. Wow. Co-train tunes. That's amazing. Because, like, I've seen him, I've seen flyers going out and playing well, in different towns like and stuff. But John Coltrane as a god or anything. It was yeah. more like he messenger with the spirit. To try it's to, not like false idol shit. Yeah, yeah, it's not more like, like messenger with the spirit. Like, he's got, like, there's, he had little icons, right? One of them was, like, the, the horn with fire coming out of the tenor. Yeah. Which in stained glass would look sick. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Well, th these were like little icon, you know, those whiskey things. Yeah. Wow, man. I always wondered how that panned out. So that's, that sounds like a trip. Still sure. going, still going. Yeah. Was that I think that's Hunter's point now. I think uh, it might be a challenging times to try to check that out. But, um, well, you know, he said it helped him get off shit. Yeah. Went, went to a, yeah, you know the story, Reverend Fonzo. He saw John Coltrane, and I don't want to do junk anymore. There's something about that record, man. There's something about that. It just, it fills that, that, that need, that void. I don't know. It, there's something you, and, and like you were saying with the meditations, pre, um, post and pre, those, I don't know. Everything with this music, there's something spiritual and driving, but. Yeah. yeah, that record resonates, and like, well, his uh, daddy was a preacher. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. And involved politics, and his grandfather, but they died uh, early, so he was raised mainly by women. Yeah, he's from North Carolina, born in 
I took the Italian guys to Hamlet and then High Point where he grew up. And then he moves to Philly as a boy. So that's why he has That's why it's trippy to see Denzel because he's got this accent, you know, that Denzel don't. Of course, Denzel has a different background. Nothing against Denzel at all. I'm yeah. a huge fan of him. Yeah, he's a great actor. It's weird if you know John Coltrane's voice. And like, and what's. Well, like Miles' voice. Miles has got. He lost yelling at Philly Joe Jones, right? In the studio. Yeah. So he's got the this kind of horse, you know. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just so it's weird when you hear another thing. Someone talking even clear. It's their words. Yeah, even if it's their words. Yeah. Was it and with Coltrane? He was like, at least his. I, th I liked how you th how you said it's important to hear his voice because you don't hear it too often. Like you hear what this guy says with music, loud and clear. But when he comes to him, like actually speaking, he's very kind of subtle and quiet and reserved. Yeah, he never goes off. No. Yeah, I remember this. Uh, I got it. You know, I've got maybe a couple hours of him talking in this interview in Japan last tour. Yeah. The guy asked, "What's the difference between classical music and jazz or other music?" What's you know. He goes, well, I don't know. I could be wrong, but maybe classical music is about sitting down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, he was like that. Yeah. You know, he never gets pissed off. There's this one point, I guess, downbeat had written some, like, you know, anti-jazz. You make a bunch of noise and shit. And he laughs. He goes, what got us was, like, they were trying to say we didn't know what we were doing. And he kind of giggles. But the guy don't get pissed. Yeah. Keep the guy it. don't get... Yeah, he always keeps it calm. He always takes the, the humility side of something. You know, like I said, if you look at the pictures of him and look at his eyes, I mean, it's incredible. A lot of compassion in, in, in the guy, and I think it comes through. And it is good to hear his voice. Joe Beiser told me he couldn't believe it was his voice. He couldn't imagine that was the voice... It is. It is strange when you hear him talk for the first time. Like that threw me too. Like, see, I grew up Navy housing, and it wasn't strange to me because we had cats like that all. Yeah. Well, uh, well was father, their, their fathers, you know. Yeah. I, I was with their boys and shit, and, but you you chowed with them and played with them, and I remember the first time I heard uh, uh, Jim Brown uh, say it out on Black I'm Proud. It was at a birthday party. We're all all of us in the backyard. And it ain't. A trippy thing. We're all singing it. <laughs> yeah. You know, well, the thing they taught us was like, you're all sailor sons. <laughs> I, I it's the 60s. It's, it's different. It's yeah. The 60s. And when you moved out and you saw civilians, it was different. But inside the Navy housing, it was is way trippy. So with that, that, when I, you know, the, the the freaky thing for me with with bebop was just the way music was. It was like punk movement. I wasn't used to. I was used to only the radio rock. You know. I didn't know. Yeah. Know about these other things, so they were new to me. But the people making it, when I met them, like at the gigs at the uh, in Hollywood and stuff, and then or Navy housing with you know different guys. Yeah, people are people. Maybe they didn't fit in so well, but they're at that gig, and you're at that gig, so you're in that world with them. It might be okay, huh? Well, and so you get to cut each other some slack, and you learn from them. Because they got experiences you don't, maybe. I learned so much from them cats. And like, it's a lot of them, I still don't know their names, right? Fake names. 
Yeah, yeah. In many houses, everybody had first names, everybody's last names because, you know, military. And just a strange way of, of meeting people and, uh, you know, making human contact and learning from them, but not such a bad way. I think I, I have a lot of positive experience from that stuff. A lot of positive stuff. Hardly any negative stuff by being with different things. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's I like, think that's like the, takeaway the takeaway from experiencing different things should be that. And I think a lot of people are afraid of that. And like uh, hearing that, you know, it, it just immersing yourself in different experiences. Well, there would have been no Minutemen without the movement for sure. Was it? And I would never, yeah, no way, no way. We'd be just, me and D Boone would be, you know, doing Creedence and Blue to call it the bedroom, you know. But, <laughs> uh, you know, and then the Navy, you know, brought me out to Peter. I would have never met D Boone. You know, it's weird how things work to bring you to where you are. That, I would have been in Virginia, or I wouldn't mind not even been in Virginia, right? That's the biggest Navy base. That's where I was born in Portsmouth there. Then later I lived in Norfolk. But I came out here to Pedro. I mean, I'm not saying everything that was meant to be, but it did turn out the way it was. And a lot of it was kind of going into strange environments, meaning people. De Boone, I meet him. He jumps out of a tree, thinks I'm his butt. Eskimo. Another fake name, right? Eskimo. I said, yeah. I ain't Eskimo. <laughs> that and, story and is let, so like. It changes my whole fucking life. That whole changed my whole life. Him having bad eyes, <laughs> seeing me, yeah, you know. So you you never know. So yeah. I think give things a chance. You know, give things a shot, especially if it comes to learning another perspective. Hundred percent. It's little life so absurd, and the little things that happen that lead you down this path. The fact that we're talking here today, or the it's all little things, and you never would have thought saying yes to that turning left here run like a guy jumping out of a tree which that story is so, so <laughs> insanely inspiring because it just that's like uh, the the chances of that and then like you guys doing what you did are so absurd and like oh yeah or, or with the flag guys yeah at the santa monica civic passing out flyers for like the second gig and you're gonna play in pedro we saw the flyer yeah, what's weird about that? Because we're the only punk rockers in Pedro. <laughs> you mean there's a punk band in Pedro? Yeah. Do you want to open? And then we end up SSTO too. Yeah. Yeah. Man. Out of nowhere. Yeah. There's, so it's it's beautiful the absurdness of life and how everything works, or how everything doesn't work. It's equal. Well, it's, it's a combination because yeah. we did have to have the band together. His ma did have to put me on base. Yeah. See, all these things added up. It's not like you don't work at this shit. Yeah. No, no, no. It's not just... You work at it, but at the same time, there's a lot of coins. That, it's like a opportunity being the being prepared for that opportune moment. Well, having well all I, that stuff. the way I look at it, you know, I got a book of pictures. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And um, call, on and off base. I call them my gifts because... You know, a lot of photographers, that's why they turn into control freaks. They set up the shots. Mine is, I just got the camera, and because it's during my, you know, hobbles in the morning, and the kayak, or bicycle. So if I'm lucky, and if I got the camera ready, I'll capture that thing. So that's kind of what it's like. You're ready if something does happen. 
like I got the camera there, and if that sunrise or that bird or that <laughs> fuck seal, you know what I mean? I get, I, I have it, but I didn't set that shot up. Yeah. So it's a weird mixture of of, of doing shit and then coincidence. Yeah. It's the side note on that. That book's fantastic, by the way. You're definitely a, you're great photographer for just being Ray in the moment. <laughs> like, those are some really cool shots in the poems and the excerpts. And they took stuff from my diary. Yeah, yeah. really cool. Um, I didn't pick those. So those people who made the book did that. Oh, okay. All it's, from it's a, to, uh, uh, Yeah, I don't have enough perspective to pick my own. Yeah. It? I think it's because digital cameras. You didn't have to buy film and shit. <laughs> yeah. That's that's like, I don't know, having someone else do it brings a more authenticness to it because, like I I don't know to find your own words would be a different project I think. Like, yeah, it would have been way uh, yeah. Like yeah, way different. Maybe too careful. Yeah, yeah, but just someone taking stuff out of what you said, like it doesn't make what you said any less inauthentic or impactful. But, no, I wrote those things, but to juxtapose them against those pictures, yeah. they took. Yeah, it makes it trippy. Man. Was that cool. poem? Yeah, it was trippy. Again, that's collab, right? That's yeah. ensemble. That's ensemble. A different, a different, a different form of it because you got a publisher and editor. Right? And... Most of the work Raymond does is man alone, you know. But yeah. sometimes collabs. But that world, yeah, you're up there. You, you know, we got a lot of different ways to do it on this planet. Yeah. <laughs> and. I don't know, I feel as an individual who found music and found this outlet, I feel so lucky that I know what it is. You know what I mean? I know what I'm going to obsess over, like obsess over. And it's trying to figure out these strings and make this thing in my head come out. And like, I know a lot of people that are trying to find that thing. And like, it's, it's people like you and people like John Coltrane and people like Miles and all these fill in the blank, amazing, like people that have found their passion and do it to the fullest and like immerse themselves in it, they inspire everyone else to try to find that. And like, I, I, and find if more you find out about people like you and your photography or like uh, Miles and his painting, you see these other outlets that people dabble in. And it's, it's, I don't know, the idea that this reservoir, the kind of circle back, is deep and has no. A f like defined thing that you can pull from it or use it for is a beautiful concept and I just uh I don't know wanted to uh, kind of put it to one point and thank you for talking to me for this long I just realized we've been chatting for a minute <laughs> and uh yeah. well I hope you got enough there Dave oh I got more than I know some guys like John Coltrane he dedicated his entire life to music yeah Man, what a focus. I, that's, yeah. Just and the, like how you're saying, be practicing after the gig. Yeah. That's incredible. In, that just says it all. And You know, there was another guy, in fact, he did some practice with him. Eric Dolphy. He was the same kind of cat. Yeah. When Eric Dolphy was, he's a SoCal cat, downtown LA. His pop built a practice pad in the backyard for you. Huh. And, and and Dolph was a guy who never got fucked up on drugs. Just was back there shedding. Well, there was these guys coming, you know, in the early 60s, late 50s. Uh, the, the, the the guy who Miles Davis thought was going to be the next trumpet man, Clifford Brown. 
Yeah. Oh, man. He got that killed was... in that car wreck yeah. young. He was clean, too. So there was another kind of thing coming. And I think John Coltrane, in a way, was spearheading this, although Diz was pretty good. But a lot of those guys, a lot of problems with the Drogas. Yeah. Chet Baker. Oh, yeah. my God. <laughs> my, um, so I, um, I went to CSU for jazz as well. And uh, there was this guitar cat that was always, he was in the Chet, and he always would be like, Chet sings. He, he was all like... He Beautiful was, voice. Yeah. He was always riffing on the bit, though, because he would... Uh, Chet, there's so much Chet did, right? <laughs> but beautiful voice, beautiful tone, amazing Beautiful musician. looking man, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that too, that too. <laughs> he was with Jerry Mulligan. I mean, that, that, that was very successful, but... The, and, and Jerry had to fight heroin. He finally beat it, though. But... Uh, yeah, not the same. Yeah, yeah. The same, the strong stuff, strong stuff. Um, but man, I think he fell off a balcony, or maybe a dealer pushed him in yeah. Amsterdam. What do you think? You think it's more of the dealer, or do you think it was a? It's called "Let's Get Lost" or something. Okay. There's a doc on him. I have to check that one out. That's what that theory. They, they might have been he owed money. You see that Sun Ra doc? Well, joyful, joyful noise. There's one called "Space Is the Place." Oh man, I got that one. Book. There's a book named after him, John's Webb. But he didn't have the problem with drugs. Yeah, I know, that was he just a side weird, thought uh, of documentary. He lived most of his life with a hernia, huh. a lot of pain. Yeah, he only got it fixed at the end of his life. Man, uh, from Birmingham, Alabama. Sonny Blount, great cat. Great cat, incredible. And he was into this idea, though, where you play with guys off the street, too. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Kind of trip. That and is. then guys, John Gilmore could have played with anybody, but he played with Son. You know, it. You know, Son Brown was, uh, he had another level. It wasn't just music. It was, you know what I mean? He yeah. had a kind of a theatrical uh, consciousness. There was he a, had a lot of thing, things going on. Yeah, no, there was a lot. In John Sweat has a book called Space is a Place that I'd recommend. And it's incredible. His He went to jail for being a conscientious objector in World War II. Willie Del, uh, Dixon, too, the blues yeah. bass man, wrote a buttload of songs. Yeah, no, he was, as far as like blues concerned, he was the, he's the standard. He wrote so many songs. <laughs> Brother wow, Matt. I didn't know he... Okay. She said he went over to his house. He opened up a drawer and he showed him a bunch of songs he never even fucking recorded. Wow, that would have been something else. Because the blues, like yeah. the when every genre, it's like jazz. I mean, it's yeah. it's deep. It's deep. And like every every there's these standards, right? And like everyone does their interpretations and grows as an artist from imitating, especially in those traditions. Even if it's like blues, jazz, country, folk. That you keep seeing certain songs reincarnated in different ways, and like okay. I think one of those guys, oh man, that would have been something. Yeah, okay, that's you're <laughs> right on the mark there. It's about you know people ask me about the old days. They say it was about people. So are the new days. It's always going to be about people. Yeah, there are these traditions. You're right. Kinds of modes and motifs, and, but it's a, how what's to be done with them you know how do we do it to tell our stories 
and everyone's going to have their own way to do it. And I guess it's appreciation. Well, butt proof is like, you know, why I have guests on my radio show because no one has the same fucking journey through music. Yeah. But I love how every time you do that, you kind of gauge from, unless it's someone who's reoccurred, um, gauge from that same early perspective. Like I was just listening to the one with the Flat Five the other day. And like... Chicago. Yeah. Those guys, great harmonies, man. Those guys are tight. And the, the trippy, that band is based on songs that one of the guy's brother writes. Yeah, and they're all kind of goofy things. You know, I mean, they're like, <laughs> well, he's he he writes for like symphonies and shit. Yeah, it, it's it's trippy. It's trippy, but that just shows to go you. The music can you know be from anywhere, going anywhere. Why not? Let it be dynamic and flexible. But the the way that you kind of approach sharing the story of it and learning from that, it goes back to your own the, the op, third opera, the lessons never less than it continues, and everyone's got their way to yeah. share it. Especially the starting points, and I and I get into their starting points because I want people who might be listening not to be afraid if he hears these people. You know, yeah. He told me about you know he was a drummer, right? And then he saw Lou Reed and the Velvet Underground. He said, "Fuck, I'll try singing." Yeah. Lou can do it, so that's I'm I'm kind of borrowing that. That's a that's a great example. Even like with your own, um, how you indeed didn't know how to tune strings. You know, like some maybe some play it loose, some play. <laughs> to with me and my bass man heard that we're like, that's that's where we were. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's how bad our ears were. I told you at first our ears couldn't hear shit. We <laughs> thought you played down on the corner. By credence, then you were in tune. We didn't know your down on the corner had to be his down on the corner. Yeah, that's. We thought uh, people like loose strings or tight ones. That's <laughs> a, that's a beautiful way to do it because that's what it is at first. It's just playing and trying to make these things you hear happen on yeah, the thing you have. Yeah, with friend. That that's yeah. the yeah yeah definitely. And this is how we're together. Yeah, and that's important. So Remember, it's, it's ensemble. Yeah, yeah, hundred. It's the players. It's the people, and it's seeing that happen and the beauty that comes out of it um but that's one thing i love about how you handle your show radio show wise like i man to do three hours as much as you do like well there's a lot of work well there's four hours of talk yeah and 140 minutes of music yeah that's awesome that's a lot of editing it's three and a half minutes of music to every minute of talking yeah so, you know, it ain't three hours of spiel. Yeah, yeah, but still, like, it's a lot to put together, you know, and then put out. You let people, you know. It's awesome. I think it's. Give them a geo, and they'll tell you their story, and there's a lot of people making music. Yeah. And just, so it's not like I have to, like, whoop it all up. <laughs> true. But the organizing, you know, being in the mile spot, putting stuff together. Yeah, but look. I was, look, the Black Flag guy, SSTO2, they brought us on our first tour. Yeah. To, uh, overseas. I mean, you know, people did things for me. Yeah. Did I pay back? Definitely. Okay. Def- yeah. No, 100%. And that's the beauty so of it's it. It's kind of a little barter rock. Yeah. And that's what keeps those people giving back. Like, because it can totally be a cruel, like. Well, to me, that's the lesson of the movement. I don't want it just to be a fucking funny haircut. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not with funny haircuts, but. Which, whatever you know that's a that's a look everyone had 
wild wig actually, at one point. There was, actually, everybody, in the old days, everybody had their own look. You wouldn't believe how diverse it was. Yeah, it was. Because no, nobody knew. Yeah. When something's new, people don't know. <laughs> that makes sense. So you get all codified, orthodox, you know. Coming in with all these different things. Your mental, like how you perceive it's going to be. <laughs> like, I never thought of it like that. Yeah. <laughs> Where now, like you I see it, it's red to you. But I was there. There was people with mustaches and bell bottoms. Hey, fucking no, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That was the Foghat gig. <laughs> yeah. Foghat still rips, though, man. That's a fun band. Um, they, they were uh, Savoy Brown before that. Yeah. Blues. Boogie. Boogie yeah, Blues. Yeah. And it's in there. What's that? Uh, what? What? Um, well, Foghat's big hit was Slow Ride. Yeah. I was trying to think of what Muddy Waters tune they did. They did a really cool. Uh, oh, they did all kinds of stuff. You know, that's all the England rockers did. That's why they got into Prague. Yeah. Because they were like, man, this is embarrassing. But you know, music's music. So I don't care. B.B. Uh, King loved Pete Green's guitar playing. Yeah. B.B.'s okay. another guy, man. Yeah, but he loved Peter Green, who's yeah. an English guy, right? Yeah, who's hearing their stuff and feeding it back to but him. But it doesn't matter, right? Yeah. No, it's 100. He likes it, he likes it. Yeah. And if you ask me, that's the good version of Fleetwood Mac. Yeah, for sure. That's at least the more like I don't I don't know. There's the rawness to it. Um, oh well, there's a song called Oh Well. That's well, the three guitar thing was kind of trippy. Yeah, especially with the the style they were doing. I don't know. Like it's either you see it like the southern rock stuff where it gets all tight and harmony wise. Kind of southern rock, but it's it's bizarre. Yeah, it's. And that's what happens, you know, when, when, when music can be a Petri dish and you experiment, you, you know, let the freak flag fly. That's where, the, yeah, that's where all the good stuff, or at least the, the stuff that inspires the other stuff, even if it's the one song from that Fleetwood Mac album, is that one song is someone's whole band. You know what I mean? Like, fill in the <laughs> blank. Um, someone got that obsessed with how they made that thing that all their things are slightly influenced by that. And I, that's the they, beauty they were, of uh, a couple of the guys in the band couldn't keep it together, you know. Yeah, L and alcohol and yeah, man, that's the always the tragic. Jesus, one life. guy went to uh, turn into a Jesus freak, right? Um, yeah, but who was that? Um, one of the guitar guys. Yeah, he went. He left like on tour to join a cult or something. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, for that moment, they 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 some great fucking music, yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's maybe the same type of void that alcohol or the drug would fill anyway. Just a different outlet of it. Or, uh, or sometimes people just quit. Look, look, yeah. look at the, the poet Arthur Rimbaud, right? Yeah. He does poems for like three years and then bye, no more. Yeah, I guess no one when the stop. Uh, Amin Ali, Rash I told you about Rashid Ali, last drummer for John Coltrane. Yeah, yeah. He's playing bass Philly guy for James Bud Almer. And then he just quit. No more bass. This guy's great bass player. Man. Yeah. Got, you know, it's enough. Yeah, I guess that's, I think that's a bigger thing too. Or like with Rollins when he stopped doing music. You know, I mean, right. there's no one when the, when the shift gears and focus on something else. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, and other guys, Elvin Jones had fucking oxygen tank on stage. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So everybody's different about this shit, right? For you know? sure. They got their own take on it, and we got to give them slack for that. Yeah. 
Oh, yeah. and seeing someone who like seeing the stone still do it, it's equally as inspiring as knowing someone who knew when to stop. And like, it's weird. It's weird that like gray area of uh, maybe no, they're still doing it. That's I saw awesome. Charlie Watts. Yeah, at a Elvin Jones gig in Culver City here, nice. and he was wearing like three overcoats. He was with Les McCann. Les McCann was in a wheelchair, and Les McCann was cussing at. Elvin, the whole girl, you motherfucker, Elvin. Elvin was laughing and shit. Wow, man. Trippy. Yeah. It's trippy. Super Yeah, trippy. it's about people. Yeah. It's people. Oh, man. Well, Mike, thank you so much for these this these last few hours. This has been like I've been my mind's been blown quite a few times and I love how you just how your interpretation of things just it's making me redefine some things and i really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me and with the hiccups in the beginning and um with the hiccups in the email i really appreciate you giving to the sea level tracks a spin and um and we'll have you on a show yeah yeah let me know when you want to do that and like, well there's spaces opening up in probably february because i'm doing five a week now wow okay yeah in february <laughs> let's uh probably the second week of february okay i'll give you l day yeah, that'd be awesome. That'd be awesome. Like I was saying, like I, that night when we went to the gig to do the first thing at the grog shop thing, and like I was telling my bass player that, and like he was like, "Dude, what the? That's so. Uh, you can't tell me that now, man. We go focus." <laughs> like it was great. So thank you so much for this wonderful conversation and the opportunity. I really, really appreciate your time and and all that you do. So thank you, Mike. Very welcome, Dave. Thanks and for having me board. Anytime, man. I'm uh, definitely going to be buying an expensive book here in a couple days. So, <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm excited to crack open that Coltrane. And book. space, space is the place too. You want to get yeah. that? Yeah, I'm. I'm, I'm going to do this Coltrane one first. I think this is going to be a yeah, yeah, pricier yeah. ticket, <laughs> mentally and no, financially. For sure. I got the John Zed one used for like five bucks. Yeah, but it's thick. But yeah. I read it in a week. It's very interesting, Sun Ra's story. Yeah, man. Space is a place. I'm... <laughs> All right, Mike. Well, thank you so much, man. You have a lovely yeah. rest of the day, and I'll touch base with you with an email. And, um, yeah, man, this has been incredible. Thank you. Okay. Safe seas, Dave. All right. You as well, my friend. <laughs>